Thank you. I hope you're all enjoying this as much as we were uh, this first session. Thank you, Randy, again for being with us. And um, after Randy's finished this second session, bringing the gospel home, uh, then I'll come up and, and, and close us out with also a, a few uh, things to note for moving forward as a church as we continue to uh, emphasize our, our, our vision for strengthening discipleship and evangelism at our church. So please join me in welcoming uh, once again Randy Newman. Thank you. Again, I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Um, a, a number of you um, asked me uh, if I'm the Randy Newman who wrote the music to Toy Story, and, and the answer is no. But I keep wondering if perhaps someday I might get one of his royalty checks. Um, uh, there was a period of time where I got a whole lot of emails from people who thought I was that Randy Newman, and uh, they wanted me to help them get their songs published. They uh, wanted to uh, um, tell me how much they like uh, my music. Um, you know, he wrote a, a song several years ago called Short People, which sounds like it's making fun of short people if you really listen carefully. He's not, but, but short people hate that song. And, and then they hate me, even if I'm not the guy. One guy wrote me an email saying that that song ruined his life. He's five foot six, and there was more profanity in one paragraph of email than I've ever seen. Um, there's, there was one guy who invited me to come sing uh, You've Got a Friend in Me at his daughter's wedding. And, and he said he was a man of means and could make it worth my while. <laughs> so I said yes. <laughs> And, and, and then I told them that I wasn't, and it didn't happen, so anyway, but, but um, um, uh, I, I, at some point, I started thinking, you know, I'm getting enough of these things, I should probably come up with some way of using this for evangelism, and uh, so I came up with sort of a standard response, which was, um, if you take a closer look at my website, you'll know I'm a different Randy Newman, I actually help people with a different story, I thought that was clever. And, um, and then if you ever want to talk about, you know, and then I gave a link to my testimony, and um, uh, some people wrote back, and I had some, you know, really good, fun conversations. Some people were Christians, and they were encouraged by it. 
Um, I, I, I'm, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but here I go. Uh, so you've been, you've been laughing and sort of friendly, and once again, the doors are locked, and so you can't leave. But so there was, uh, so I, you know, I, I told people that I'm a Christian and that I help people with another story, trying to help people connect to their story, to God's story. I thought this was clever. And, and, and again, it had several people wrote back, and I had some really good conversations. One guy wrote back a long manifesto of what he believed instead of Christianity, and it was... Um, let's see, how do I say this? Crazy. And so, um, um, so we, we had a, a series of emails back and forth, and most of his were telling me why Christians were idiots and why it was so stupid and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, it was really kind of frustrating, but it went for months and months, and I kept trying different things. And then at one point, I, um, I, I, said, I, I said to myself, and, and here's the applicable lesson, um, at some point, you can have a lot of these conversations, and we need to, but at some point, what we want to do is get people into the Scriptures. At some point, we want to invite them to read the Scriptures with us and discuss it, or we want to send them a copy of the Gospel of Mark, or we want to invite them to something like, I hope you know of the ministry called Christianity Explored, where um, it's an eight-week study of the Gospel of Mark, which presents the Gospel over the course of eight weeks gather together eating dinner and you discuss it. It's really a great ministry. And so, you, so sooner or later, um, even when, when you can't answer everybody's questions or you can't come up with the right things to say, sooner or later, you want to let the Bible do the work for you. And the sooner, the better. Um, there are a whole lot of people, and I would put myself in this category, of who um, it was when I read the scriptures that a lot of my questions seemed to fade. Now, I still have those questions, but they weren't insurmountable obstacles to coming to faith. I'm not saying that people's questions don't matter. I'm not saying that at all. But for some, for some people, the scriptures um, resolve a whole lot of issues in ways that we couldn't. So the sooner you get people into the Bible, the better. So with this guy who had gone back and forth with months and months, I mean, at one point he wrote to me and said, all Christians are hypocrites. I wrote back, all, question mark. He wrote, well, all the ones I know, to which I asked a question, how many do you know? He said, not that many. At, 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 at some point, you know, I mean, I, 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 so I, I said, you know, I wrote to him and I said, um, uh, by the way, you know, people come to, well, and so, so I, I wrote to him and said, you know, I think our, our conversation, such as it is, would be a lot better if we uh, read some of the Bible together. Would you be willing to read, and then I, I, I printed out a text from the Gospel of John, and you know, would you be willing to read this and we can discuss this? I just think our conversation would be a lot more beneficial. He wrote back and he said, I don't need the Bible. I don't need the Koran. I don't need any kind of work. I'm smart enough to figure out truth on my own. And uh, my, my wife says that at this point I, I crossed a line. Perhaps I shouldn't have written what I did, but I said, I don't see how you could say you're that smart. You came to my website and thought I was the guy who wrote the music to Toy Story. <laughs> Oh, good, you laughed. <laughs> now, I, <laughs> you may agree with my wife. Um, uh, surprisingly, the conversation didn't go much longer after that. He didn't want to. So maybe you want to take all of my ideas and put the, an asterisk of, oh, maybe, um, I don't know. Um, well, let me share um, one more of those four points as a transition from our conversation about evangelism in general to the very difficult and specific task of witnessing to family members. 
So I've said that uh, some people aren't awake, and we should ask them something like, do you really think so? Some people believe things that just can't be true, and we should say, can you explain that to me? Some people are not really asking sincere questions, and we probably should say something like, is that a real question, and then engage in a conversation. Um, here's the fourth principle, and that is sometimes a gradual approach is best. Sometimes moving incrementally is a better approach than trying to do it all at once. And the way I like to illustrate this, and this has a lot of applicability for witnessing to family members, um, um, is if you can imagine suspended in midair a line with the alphabet on it, okay? So A is down over here, A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. And I'm using this as a spectrum of unbelief. Um, everybody that, who is a non-believer is somewhere on the A to Z spectrum. So Z is someone who's really, really close to becoming a Christian. And all somebody would need to say to them is, um, would, would you like to become a Christian? And they say, well, yes, I would. And then they, they become a Christian, and then there's another spectrum of belief from very, very young faith to more mature. Um, sometimes, so you, you understand that? Um, a would be the most hardened, angry atheist you can imagine. And non-believers fit on this spectrum. Now, there's problems in that this is sort of one-dimensional and people are much, much more complex, but for the sake of understanding this process, there's a whole lot of evangelism strategies that were formulated in our country in the 1950s and 60s, which assumed people were somewhere over here at like letter T. And evangelism in the 1950s and 60s and maybe even in the 70s was T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. You could approach someone and say, would you like to know God personally? And they, they thought, yeah, I, I, I didn't know you could know God personally, but that sounds, that sounds really good. How do I do that? And then T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z, presentations of the gospel like the four spiritual laws or knowing God personally, four points of here's who God is, here's who we are, here's who Jesus is, and you need to respond, T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. Yeah, great. Um, you, you could say, um, maybe you know, there's a, there's a ministry called Evangelism Explosion, how many of you know this ministry? Okay, so I think it's a really good ministry. I think they could work on their name a little bit, by the way. Explosion, really? Is that what we're trying to do? Sorry. Um, but so their, their approach to evangelism, again, formulated, I think, in the 1960s, was you would say to people, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you'd go to heaven? Um, sometimes it's expanded. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to say, what, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I think that's a very good question for someone already on this side of the spectrum. Um, uh, so, so that question assumes they already believe in God, they already believe in heaven, they believe in a personal God who could ask them a question, they believe that something they would say would make a difference for all eternity, so T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z is great. The problem is, I think, our culture and different different. Uh, Racial uh, 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 groups, uh, different ethnicities, uh, nationalities, uh, different countries, it's different. But generally speaking, most people in America, I think, um, uh, th there are a lot more people on this side of the spectrum than on that side of the spectrum than there used to be. So it used to be you could say, would you like to know God personally? And people would say, gee. And, and by the way, the, the God that came to their mind when you said that was the same God you were thinking of probably the Judeo-Christian God. I've heard one uh, scholar say that in the 1950s and 60s, even the atheists were Christian in their atheism, 
meaning the God they said they didn't believe in was the God that Christians did believe in. But today, there are more and more people who would say, well, which God are you talking about? And, and would, could God actually ask me a question? I mean, what, what do you mean by God? And people mean a lot of different things. So they're at letter D, or sometimes I say, or they're where my, my uh, extended family is, which is negative W, somewhere in, in I don't know, direction. Uh, it's like, whoa, whoa. Um, I, I, yeah, with, with my Jewish relatives, if I started any question with, if you were to die tonight, <laughs> they wouldn't even let me finish the sentence. Um, in Jew- Eastern European Jewish culture, you don't say bad things because then you cause them to happen. It's this Jewish superstition that's really crazy, which, by the way, it's not just Jewish people who believe this. Um, but so, so if you were to die tonight, shh, quiet, shut up. What is your problem? Why are you people always talking about dying tonight? Christians are so morbid. If you were to die tonight, are you trying to sell me life insurance? I mean, it just... Not a good starter question for someone who's at letter D. Now, if you get to know the person and you find out about their beliefs or whatever, and they do believe in God, and they wonder if it's possible to know this God, then if you were to die tonight is a great question, right? Again, I return to Jesus spoke to Nicodemus differently than he spoke to the woman at the well. Paul preached in Pisidian Antioch differently than he preached in Athens. We need to have different approaches to different people. When we find out that they do believe in God, then we don't need to give a whole lot of arguments about why we believe in God. If they're an atheist who thinks it's ridiculous, well, well, let me tell you a couple of reasons why I think you might want to rethink that. And you need to have a D to E kind of conversation, which is different than a T to Z conversation. So what we need to do is we need to listen to people long enough, and we need to ask questions and then listen about where they are um, so, so some people we could say, uh, by the way, one of my favorite questions that it, it doesn't assume much at all. I, as I get to know people, I find out where they're from, what do they like to do, do they read books, what are some of their favorite books, some of their favorite movies, just getting to know them. I'll, I'll weave in with that list of getting to know you questions. Well, how about spiritual stuff? Do you ever think much about spiritual things? Um, uh, uh, what, what part, if any, has, has faith or religion ever played in your life? By, by the way, you, you may be surprised. People may be more open than you think. Um, every so often I'll listen to this uh, podcast from NPR. Um, what's it called? Um, on, on Being. You know this one? Uh, Krista Tippett is the woman who hosts it. And, and she says she's not necessarily religious. She's certainly not a, a Christian or an outspoken Christian. But she begins, and, and her guests are all over the place, and her, 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 her podcast is not about religion. It's about life and what, how do you live your life and what, you know, different people and whatever. She begins, at least she used to do this, every interview with what part has religion or faith played in your life? And, and even the people who say not much, they're not, they're, they're not antagonistic about it. So I think we could ask people and say, um, do you ever think much about spiritual stuff? And they may say, oh, yeah, I think about it all the time. In fact, um, my brother told me I should read the Bible, and I've been reading it for the last year or so, and um, I got a lot of questions. Oh, that person's really at letter Y. That was my younger brother, by the way, who is now a pastor, a young, uh, an associate pastor of a church, not all that far from here, in York, Pennsylvania. Really wild. 
And his special, he, what he does a lot of uh, training and evangelism is on Muslim evangelism. My Jewish brother comes to know Jesus and trains people how to talk to Muslims. I, whew, ah, that's not enough. I, I need Tylenol just to figure out that whole thing. Okay, so there are other, uh, with my other brother, my older brother, do you ever think much about spiritual stuff? I've been trying to ask him that question for 30 years. His answer is always the same. Nah. Nah. Doesn't matter how I word it or where I come from. Oh, please, stop with the religion. And then I try to say, well, it's not really religion. Nah. Just. So um, I'm trying to think of other things I can talk to my older brother about. That's part of pre-evangelism sometimes. If their answer is no, well, so what are the big deals in your life? With my older brother, I found out he was really into history and reading presidential biographies. He'd been reading pre presidential biographies probably for 10 years. I didn't even know it because I didn't really want to get to know him all that well, sorry to say. And so when I found that out, I was like, okay, let's talk about that. I'll tell more of his story in a little bit. But so, so let me, so I'm just trying to say is we need a gradual approach. And, and by the way, people might be at letter D, but they might progress to letter Y or Z really quickly. Some people, it's much more gradual and incremental. So here's my favorite story of my A to Z thing. It's about my mother, my, my Jewish mother. And you've heard jokes about Jewish mothers, haven't you? And they're true and they're not funny. Um, <clears throat> all that stuff about guilt? Huh. My therapy, therapist says I'm making progress. What does he know? Uh, so, all right. So I would say my mother, for the first 70 years of her, her life, was at letter D. And it was a friendly letter D. It was, uh, uh, all people are nice, everybody goes to heaven, all religions are the same, everybody goes to heaven. And for years, I tried witnessing to my parents with the much more presentational, um, assuming they're down over here kind of approach. I sent them Bibles, I sent them books to read. Um, I, I sent my parents a book called Betrayed by a man named Stan Telchin. It's my favorite book for witnessing to Jewish people. Um, I, I sent my parents uh, the Jesus film. Do you know the Jesus film? Campus Crusade put it together. It's like the Gospel of Luke made into a movie. I sent my parents both the English and the Hebrew versions. My parents don't speak a word of Hebrew. I don't know. I just thought it would be impressive. It, it, it wasn't. Nothing worked. And, and I am ashamed to say this, but I'm pretty sure it's true. I think I gave up. I think I may have even given up praying. It's just uh, mom and dad. It's just not going to work. And then one day, my mother was on the phone telling me about a funeral she had been to. It was a funeral of a man who taught in the high school where I went many years before. And I knew this man to be a very harsh, angry atheist, letter A. And at some point, my mother said to me, well, at least now he's in a better place. And I went, oh, I don't know. And, and I thought about preaching a sermon. I had lots of Bible verses on my side. And then I thought, that hasn't worked. Um, I think I'm going to try asking my mother a question. I said, well, well Mom, how do you know that? That's a really good question. By, by the way, I don't have just one question for this A to Z thing. I, there's a whole bunch. Do you ever think much about spiritual stuff? How do you know that? What have, how have you come to that point of view? What is it that, that is appealing to you about that? So, so, Mom, how do you know that? She said, how do I know what? I said, how do you know he's in a better place? And there was this very long, very uncomfortable pause on the phone. And finally, after this long pause, my mother said, well, I guess I really don't know that. And I wanted to sing the hallelujah chorus. 
Uh, my mother on that day budged from D to D and a half. And that was the beginning for her to feel very uncomfortable. By the way, uh, um, evangelism is unco uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for us, most of us. It certainly is uncomfortable for them. Our goal is not comfortable evangelism. I, I have no idea what that is. Some, some of us, me especially, um, we need to um, repent of our idolatry of comfort. I, I, I want to be comfortable and happy all the time. And evangelism messes up both comfort and happiness. Well, eventually, long term, long term, it's happy and joyful. But in the moment, I don't know. Am I scaring you all off or is this helpful? I, I, I teach classes on this stuff. Um, I taught at Talbot Seminary out in California um, uh, for a couple of years. I would fly out two weekends a semester and teach classes there. It was great. It was wonderful. I love it. There was one time I flew home. The flight was delayed and delayed and delayed. I landed at Dulles Airport at about 1.30 in the morning. I'm thinking, oh, I'm exhausted. I've been, I was just, it's a long flight when it's on time, let alone delayed. And so I wondered, does Uber still work at this hour? Well, it does. And this guy picked me up. And we, I get in the car, and he was chatty. Now, I want my Uber drivers to be awake, yes, but not conversational at 2 in the morning. Hey, where are you coming in from? Los Angeles. Um, oh, what brought you out there? I was tempted to say a plane. Uh, <laughs> he said, uh, I, I, oh, what are you doing in Los Angeles? Uh, is Los Angeles your home or is here your home? Oh, this, is, this is home. Oh, welcome home. What brought you out there? Uh, I, I was teaching a class. Oh, what's it, what, what, what were you teaching? I thought, oh, no. <laughs> this is shaping up to be a witnessing opportunity. I've read about this in books. It's two in the morning. Couldn't you just drive? <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, well, it's, it was a class at, uh, oh, where did you teach? School called Talbot. Oh, I never heard of that. What kind of school? It's a Christian school. Oh, what do you teach? Um, I, I teach people how to do what I don't want to do right now. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that either. I said, um, well, I, I, I teach about how Christians can interact with people of different belief systems so that it's a better conversation. I thought that was a good line. I had to think of that ahead of time. I didn't make that up on the spot. I thought, what am I going to ask? What am I going to say when people say, what do you do? Okay, so. Um, he said, oh, well, that's really interesting. I'm a Muslim. And I kind of guessed it. I'm sorry if that seems like racial profiling, but his name was Muhammad. Okay, sorry. Uh, so... Um, uh, so he said, I'm a Muslim. And then he said, but I'm not a very good one. Now I was awake. Now, and, but, but in the middle, I thought, Lord, would you help me? Because right now, I don't care about this man as much as I care about my comfort. And, and Lord, I, uh, I care more about my comfort than I do about your glory and your gospel. Would you set me free from that? That's, that's horrible sin. No wonder Jesus died for my sin. All of that's going on um, before I start talking to him. Sometimes confession of our idolatry of comfort can be the best free evangelism we can do in ourselves before talking. And, and then Mohammed and I had a really good conversation, especially when he said, well, you know, we believe basically the same things. It's just that we disagree about Jesus. I said, yeah, I would agree with you. Um, uh, we do disagree, and, but, but that's a really big deal. And let me tell you why. 
Um, and so, and then at the very end, um, I have this app on my phone. I recommend it if you go for it. Not now. Don't take your phones out now. But um, when you get home or on the parking lot, uh, summit later. But um, it's called the story or hear the story or the story number for us, story for us by a ministry called Spread Truth. And it's a really good short video. And I was able to kind of send it to him by text. I mean, we already had connection because of Uber and all that. So, and, and I asked him to watch it. Now, I haven't, I haven't seen him. I haven't heard back from him. I do pray for him, though. All of that was this long excursus to say that gradual. So there's my mother telling me on the phone, at least this man's now in a better place. I said, well, Mom, how do you know that? She said, I guess I don't know that. And that was kind of the end of the phone conversation. Um, and then, I don't know how many weeks later or whatever, um, my mother sent me an email that said... Um, I think I'm going to read the New Testament. My mother, my mother, huh? My Jewish mother. Uh, uh, so in case you don't know, Jewish mothers don't often read the New Testament. So mom, let me know how it goes. She starts sending me questions. Why did Jesus say this? Why did people reject him so much? What did I do? I answered a question with a question. It really bothered her. Uh, mom, uh, why do you think he, he, he said that? Why do you think people rejected him so much? Uh, my mother wrestled with the gospel for probably months and months and months reading the New Testament. Again, I think the New Testament is a two-edged sword, and it cuts through all sorts of objections. But at one point, my mother sent me an email that said, I'm beginning to think like you do, that Jesus is the Messiah. <gasps> Mom, um, uh, 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 would you say he's your all in capitals. Messiah, question mark? She wrote back, not yet. <laughs> All right, okay, this is good. Um, at one point, she sends me an email. Have you ever heard of a book called Betrayed? I gave her that book. <laughs> I gave her that book probably five years before. She read it. She told me she thought it was interesting, one of the worst words people can ever say, and then she gave it away to somebody else. I was furious. She says to me, have you ever heard of a book called Betrayed? See, now you have to love email, don't you? Because with email, you can respond before you respond, if you know what I mean. My first response was, yes, I've heard of that book. I gave you the book. You thought it was interesting. You gave it a lot. I think so. <laughs> Why do you ask? Send. She said, my friend Mary gave it to me. It's very good. You should read it. <laughs> That's the book the Lord used to lead my mother to faith. One day, she was talking to me on the phone. She said to me, she's, she's 75 at this point. She said, I think I'm going to have the same problem that Stan Telchin had, the guy who wrote that book. Oh, what's that problem, Mom? Well, I think, I think my friends and my relatives are going to reject me when I tell them that I'm a believer in the Messiah. Mom, did you just say you're a believer in the Messiah? Oh, I guess I forgot to tell you that. I have a picture on my computer, which whenever I'm in the mood to cry, I will pop open and see the picture of my mom at age 75 being baptized by my brother. Yeah, that one. Not the brother who's still saying nah, but that brother. He was, he was a pastor in Amsterdam at the time, and my parents flew over there, and my brother, uh, my brother baptized my mother when she was age 75. All I'm trying to say to you is this gradual approach may be what we need. 
in witnessing to anybody, but especially with family. Um, I don't think it actually takes family members longer to come to faith than other people. It's just that we've, we know them longer. We're involved in longer part of their story. So when people ask me um, what lessons I learned in putting together the book, Bringing the Gospel Home, and interviewing lots of people, I say there were three really crucial lessons that I think were common elements for witnessing to family people, uh, family members. Time, love, and comprehensiveness. So this gradual approach that I've been telling you about of uh, moving from D to E or whatever is, requires time. That's what we need. We need more and more time in reflecting about this. We need more and more patience from God. Um, uh, family um, require the most amount of patience and, and they test our patience the most. So regularly we need to be asking God, how do I move incrementally with this relative? With my mom, it was the question of, mom, how do you know that? And then resisting the temptation to preach a sermon to her. She needed to be uncomfortable where she would say, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to think about this. Uh, let me give another story on this time idea. We, we need time. We need a long-term perspective. We need to ask God to, to, to tell us when to speed up, when to slow down. Um, this younger brother that I've told you about that was over here, um, I became a Christian when I was 20 years old as a sophomore at Temple University. So my brother was at the time 14 years old. He's six years younger than I am. Found out that Randy became a Christian and he thought, that's crazy. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, when my brother got into high school, he lived a pretty wild, crazy life. Lots of drunkenness, lots of craziness. And he really didn't want to talk to me about God or anything like that. He went off to college and by now, I was uh, married and uh, on staff with Campus Crusade. I'm a professional Christian. I'm a professional pusher of this stuff. He didn't want anything to do with any of that kind of stuff. And um, he was now off in college, getting into some more wild and crazy stuff. And my wife and I kept inviting him to come visit us. And he kept saying, no, I don't want to come visit you. And finally, at one point, my mother said to me, you know why Brian doesn't want to come visit you? He's afraid you're going to try to convert him. So I told him, listen, if you come visit us, I promise I won't talk about religion at all. He said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, let's do you know, fun stuff. And so he did. He came to visit us. We went to a hockey game. We went to a movie. We talked about all sorts of things. I wanted to find out what he was studying in school, what books he was reading. I decided that for that entire weekend, I would not go anywhere near anything to do with religion. And I stuck to it. I think he was kind of surprised, went back to his college. Um, we invited him to come visit us again. This time we were on uh, a summer beach mission that Campus Crusade does um, in Ocean City, New Jersey. I told him, listen, this is a religious thing. Everybody there is probably, you know, they're, they're strong Christians. They might talk to you about religion, but I promise you, I won't. He goes, no, that, that's really okay. It's all right. He showed up, came to town carrying a case of beer. Um, when friends, he walked into the apartment we were staying, he was holding a case of beer. The friend said, how long are you staying? He went, oh, hmm three, maybe four days. Um, and so I, I, I thought to myself, I'm, I'm not going to talk to him about anything spiritual unless he brings it up. And sure enough, while you're sitting out on the beach one day, he goes, he says, you know, I just think it's ridiculous that I, I'm totally ignorant about religion. I don't, I don't know about any religion. I don't know about Judaism, our own religion. I don't know about Christianity, your religion. I, I don't know about any religion. This is ridiculous. And so in a very bold move, I said, well, 
uh, you might want to read some of the Bible. That was a joke that that was, that was bold. That wasn't all that bold. I thought that was pretty, I was like, I thought that was. So you might want to read some of the Bible. He goes, yeah, I, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Okay. I didn't know that he went back to his campus and read the entire New Testament. Uh, a few months later, he came to visit us. And again, I made up my mind, uh, I'm going to let him bring this up. That's all he talked about the whole weekend. He was the one who kept bringing it up. It's like a religious fanatic. I said, don't, don't, you want, don't you want to talk about hockey? No. Um, so, uh, he, uh, so he asked me this question, and I totally forgot that I had told him you might want to read the Bible. I hope you're impressed with my evangelistic prowess here. <laughs> said, well, you know, Brian, you might, you might want to read the Bible. He goes, you always say that. I go, I, I think it's a good idea. Have you ever read it? Yeah, I've read it. I'm on my second time through on the New Testament. I'm up to Luke. Oh, how's that going? He goes, it's really good. You want to talk about it? No. Okay. But I don't know, six months later or something, he's sitting uh, on his campus, upstate New York. Um, I don't know what, whether, what he was doing or studying or whatever, but a friend of his in a conversation said, do you ever think much about spiritual stuff? Probably a letter D kind of question. And that's when my brother said, oh yeah, I think about it all the time. I've read the New Testament once. I'm on my second time through. My brother is religious. And that guy answered a whole ton of Brian's questions and he became a Christian soon after. Sometimes, I know this is counterintuitive, but if we really believe in a sovereign God who works powerfully, we can ask God, when do I step on the gas pedal and really push this forward? And when do I just kind of let people move at a pace that God is moving at? And that takes a tremendous amount of wisdom. By the way, I hope you're not hearing me say, oh, just always do less. No, sometimes you need to push it really strongly. Um, we need to ask God for wisdom. And by the way, some of us need to be honest about ourselves some of us push things all the time too strongly, and we need to ease up. Some of us, we're always contempt to just talk about the weather, and we need to probably step on it a little bit further. I think we need to ask God for wisdom. We need people around us who know us and care for us, Christians, who will say, you know, I think you really ought to push that a little bit more. Wouldn't it be great if I just had some automatic formula about when to move and when to not? Well, good news for you. I'm developing an app, and it's, it's the A to Z app. It'll tell you when you get close to people where they are and what are... I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But no, that would be like we'd be robots. So, time. Uh, the second thing that I think is tremendously important with family is love. Now, that may seem kind of silly because you may be thinking, well, of course I love them. They're my family. Yes, I hope so. But um, uh, family is the place where love is assumed and not always communicated. It's assumed and not always expressed. And the challenge for us in our families is to find ways that convey and communicate and express love in ways that our family members really feel it and know it. Uh, by the way, I don't want to just assume that we really do love all of our family members. Some of us need to pray and ask God to work so that we would love them. My other brother, the nah brother, I, I need to ask God to work in me so that I do love him. Um, we can't manufacture it. And I think we feel especially guilty because, first of all, as Christians, we feel like, well, we should love everybody. Well, we should, but we don't. And we should especially love our family. We should, but we don't. 
But we can ask God to work in us, to change us, to, to, to transform us. Again, I don't think we can manufacture it, but I think we can ask God to, to have the gospel so strongly affect us so that we get to this point of wonder and, and astonishment that God would love us and then say, well, then I, I think I can love this other person. Um, so what we need is God to work in us so that we do love them, and then we need wisdom about how to express that love in ways that people feel it. Uh, this is a challenge. Um, it, it, it's a constantly changing challenge, too, by the way. Um, if, you're, um, uh, if you're 20 years old and you have parents who are in their 40s or 50s, how to communicate love to a parent that age um, is different than when you're in your 40s and they're in their 60s or older or aging. Or if you're a parent and you have a five-year-old son, how you communicate love to that child is very different than a 15-year-old son, which is also very different than a 25-year-old son now that uh, they're married or having kids of their own and how do you communicate that. And so it's constantly changing. We constantly need wisdom about that. Um, you, I, I could just tell you're all in the need of a poem. I could see it on your face. And so I happen to have a poem here that I'd like to read to you. But unfortunately, I didn't look it up first, so it's going to take me an hour to find it on my phone because my phone moves very slowly. At least that's what I'm claiming because the alternative is that I don't know how to use my phone. And it can't be that, no. So... Um, um, do you know the poet, some of you are nervous right now, a poem, he's going to read us a poem? Uh, this is an easily accessible poet, Billy Collins. Do any of you know the poet Billy Collins? Anybody? No? He, he used to be poet laureate of our country. How do you feel now, huh? Um, some of you are saying, I still don't know who he is. Okay, so his poetry is very easy to read and sometimes even comical and funny, so um, you might want to check him out on YouTube sometime. But he has a poem called The Lanyard which I think makes the point I'm trying to say of we need wisdom about how to express love to our family members. You all know what a lanyard is? You know, wear it around your neck? Okay, so Billy Collins' poem, The Lanyard. The other day I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, moving as if underwater from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope, lying on the floor, when I found myself in the L section of the dictionary where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one into the past more suddenly, a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid long, thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one, if that's what you did with them, but that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted spoons of medicine to my lips, laid cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me how to walk and swim. I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education. And here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. 
And here I wish to say to her now is a smaller gift, not the archaic truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hand, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. Um, uh, my mom, my mom is turning 92 this uh, this Tuesday. I am constantly thinking of how do I communicate love to my mom as she moves on in years. Um, uh, my dad um, wanted nothing to do with my religious faith for a very long time. My dad was a very angry, bitter man. Um, he, he, he claimed at, at one point in his life to be an atheist, but I think he was an atheist the way C.S. Lewis said he was an atheist. L Lewis said, um, I, I said I, I didn't believe that God existed, and I was mad at God for not existing. <laughs> and so my dad was way on this end of the spectrum, and I tried all sorts of things, and nothing really worked. And my dad's biggest complaint and obstacle to the gospel was, how in the world can I believe in a God who allows so much evil and suffering in the world? My dad fought in World War II and saw some hideous, horrible things right in front of his face. My dad was part of that generation of Jewish people that first learned of the Holocaust when the camps were liberated in 1945. Um, uh, my dad was a very, very angry man and would always ask me this question about evil and suffering. And my answers, I tried coming at it from all sorts of different angles, and it was always, well, here's why, here's how, here's how can we can make sense of it. And at one point, I had to realize the fact that I, I didn't even have a totally satisfactory answer to that question for me. I, I think the Christian answer is the best answer out of all the possible answers, but it still leaves a whole lot of things still struggling with doubt. And when I admitted to my father after September 11th of 2001 that I still had questions and I live with only partial of an answer, he started softening and listening. When my dad saw that, my, that his wife, his bride of 60 years, um, came to faith, my dad started attending a Messianic Jewish congregation with my mom. <laughs> Funny, my dad's older, and um, uh, my, my dad said, I don't want your mother driving alone. You know, she, she doesn't drive very well. <laughs> I thought, oh, you're the safe driver? <laughs> so, okay, so he would drive, and every week he heard the gospel in this small congregation, small Messianic Jewish congregation, um, uh, every year they would tend a, a Passover Seder. I hope you've had the chance to attend one um, from a Messianic Jewish Christian point of view. But in that Passover Seder, the gospel is presented. And at the end of the Seder, there's a part in the, pas in the Passover Seder, not even non-Messianic non one, the one that Jewish people celebrate all over, where matzah is distributed at the very end. And as a Messianic one, the leader would always say, "This Rebbe, Jesus took this bread and said, this is my body. And so if you're a believer here in Messiah, then you partake of this and you realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Passover story. Um, just as the people were set free from physical bondage to slavery, we who are partakers of the body of Christ are set free from a spiritual bondage of slavery. And so if you're a believer here, then you can participate in this. If you're not a believer, just let this pass by. And every year, my father would let it pass by because he knew he wasn't a believer. And at some point, when he was about 86, um, at my parents were at this Passover Seder, and it comes time, and it comes, my dad picks the piece of matzah up, to which my very sensitive, loving, patient, kind mother said, what are you doing? 
To which my father's response was, I know what I'm doing. Perhaps the angriest conversion ever in the history of the world. That's how my father came to faith. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he did know what he was doing, and it really changed him. It softened him. It was wonderful. Um, my dad died five years ago and at age 90, and um, he requested that we sing Amazing Grace at his funeral. Isn't that great? I love it. <laughs> it, it, was, it was in a room, uh, I don't know, tiny, much smaller than this, with probably uh, about 200 people. At least 100 of them were unsaved Jewish people. And, and most of the other people were unsaved Gentile people. The congregation was a very small congregation, and, and the number of believers in, in our family was pretty small. But at the end of the, the uh, celebration, really, we sang Amazing Grace, which I'm sure was the first time most my Jewish relatives and the unsaved Jewish friends ever heard this song or read the lyrics. And it's kind of a strange uh, 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 set of lyrics for people who are not believers. Saved a wretch like me is one of the lines. I'm sure they were thinking, wretch? Marty was a wretch? I didn't think he was a wretch. I thought he was a nice guy. I'm like, he wanted this song sung? Why are we singing this song at his funeral? I thought you're supposed to say nice things about people. Why would you call people a wretch? That's that, I just love that kind of stuff. My dad came to faith after time. But it, but it took, how do we express love? Um, for, for me, um, expressing love to my dad was when I stopped preaching answers and admitted to him, I still have struggles about this. Um, we have three sons. Um, my youngest one um, has strayed far from the faith. I would love it if you'd uh, you pray for him. Um, uh, when John was in high school, he got mixed up in some really terrible drugs, and we sent him away to one of these very, very difficult, painful, uh, painful for us, probably painful for him, boarding schools for troubled teens. Um, he came out of it clean and sober. Um, but not really wanting much to do with our God and our religion. Um, he sort of came back close, I think, in college, but now he's far away. Um, but um, when John first came home from that, um, uh, from that school, he wanted to watch the Lord of the Rings uh, movies. We had them on, on disc, and he wanted to watch all of them uh, kind of in a row. And uh, so I decided to watch them with him, and he said that, he, that, they, that would be fine. Um, at, before then, um, I, I didn't particularly like, uh, well, John really was into uh, comedy, and in fact, he still does some stand-up comedy in New York, which is really fun, um, but he, um, he liked watching some stuff that I didn't approve of, and I would always, you know, say why this is bad and this is wrong. Um, he really liked Seinfeld, and you would think that I would be a big fan of Seinfeld, and I kind of am, but I would preach regularly, it's a show about nothing, and that's what's so great about it, Dad. No, that's what's horrible. This is the, this is the decline of Western civilization embodied in a television show. <laughs> John said I had the, 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 the gift of beating a dead horse. He was right. Still is. Uh, so... Um, Anyway, so, you know, he wanted to watch The Lord of the Rings. I'm sure at one point I must have said, well, you know, you should really read the book. Books are better than movies, but uh, okay. So, um, uh, so we decided to watch that together. And watching that together and letting him explain to me the things he knew about special effects and different things, because he had watched uh, a whole bunch of other things, um, was my way to try to express love to him. 
Um, uh, watching Seinfeld together with him was my way of expressing love and shutting up when I wanted to preach sermons about what they shouldn't have said or shouldn't have done. I, I even went with John to go see the Simpsons movie. Um, I, I want special credit for that or something. <laughs> and, um, and we still have a couple of common laughs that we will play off of from that. I'm trying to figure out how do I communicate love to this son so that he really feels it. And, and for him, it's those kinds of conversations about art or, or uh, comedy or about filmmaking um, in ways that I'm praying God uses. We need to figure out ways to express love to our kids and our parents and our siblings in ways that it actually does communicate love. One more. Um, so uh, time, gradual approach. Um, love, we need to find ways to express love to them. Um, the third one is comprehensiveness. Time, love, and comprehensiveness. Here's what I mean by comprehensiveness. Um, the, the gospel message is this full and rich and wonderful message. Um, excuse me. And it touches upon all sorts of different areas of life. And um, there are a lot of our relatives or friends or people who know us who have already heard our Jesus spiel about how you need to believe in Jesus. He, his death on the cross can set you free. You can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness of sins. Yes, all of that for sure. Um, but uh, there's a whole lot of them that they really don't want to talk about that anymore. But they might be interested in talking about all sorts of other things like their job or about what they want to do on vacation or um, how they handle uh, medical problems or um, marriage or a whole host of things. And what we need is we need to reflect deeply about the gospel and how it touches on a million different topics. By the way, um, the very core of our gospel message is indeed about God's substitutionary atonement on our behalf. Yes, and, and we must never get away from that. But isn't it amazing all of the different words in the Bible or different pictures we have in the Bible to describe the gospel in other ways? So it's called uh, atoning sacrifice. It's called propitiation. It's also called reconciliation. It's also called redemption. It's called salvation. It's called eternal life. Um, so, so there's all sorts of different ways the gospel is explained and portrayed to us, and um, it connects with people in different places and different starting points. Um, so my older brother, the, the one over here with that nah, I, I've tried talking to him. He's just never interested, never interested. And, and I told you that um, I found out after years that he'd been reading presidential biographies that, gee, this might be a good thing for me to talk to him about. So um, and, and, and I live in Washington, D.C. He lives in New York. Um, Washington, D.C. has a fair amount to do with uh, history. We have museums there and stuff. And so he would take the train down and we would go to museums in, in downtown D.C., uh, American History Museum or this, uh, different Smithsonian ones. And I always found those to be difficult times. I didn't have a lot to converse with my brother about, but he liked to spend time like that. One day he said to me, um, where, where's Thomas Jefferson's home, Monticello? Is that far from you? I said, oh, it's really far. It's, it's probably like two hours down in Charlottesville. He goes, two hours? That's not that bad. I could take the train down. You could pick me up, and we could drive down to Charlottesville. And I thought, two hours alone in the car with my brother? I'll run out of stuff to talk about by Centerville. Maybe you don't know where Centerville is. It's 12 minutes from my house. All right, sure, okay, we'll do that. So we did. 
and we drove down, and we drove down to Charlottesville, and after about an hour and a half in the car, seemingly out of nowhere, he starts telling me about problems that he and his wife are having in their marriage. By the way, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that those kind of things come to the surface after length of time, and there's a kind of freedom some people feel to tell us things when we're both facing this way instead of like this. I tried having lots of these conversations with them. They went nowhere. This conversation was a whole lot more productive. So he starts telling me about difficulties that he's having in his marriage, and I said, well, you know, I, I, I think probably every married couple has some of those kinds of things, some of those problems. He goes, no, come on, you guys are doing fine. You never have any of those problems. I said, no, no. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand, I mean, every marriage is made up of two sinful people. See, I use that word, sinful. Two sinful people, and therefore there's going to be problems in marriage. He goes, oh, come on, you, you, you and Pam, you don't have any problems. I said, no, listen, you may find this hard to believe, but Pam is very sinful. <laughs> you may laugh. You'll notice I'm not laughing. You'll also notice I tell that when she's not in the room. Um, I said, uh, no, I, I think the, the only reason that um, Pam and I haven't killed each other is because we forgive each other a lot. We, we have to ask each other for forgiveness a lot. We, we say the words, I forgive you, a lot. And I thought at that point he was going to shut the conversation down. He goes, like, like, what do you mean? Oh, okay, well. I said, um, well, uh, I think the only reason we know anything about forgiveness at all is because we've been forgiven by God. Again, I thought he would shut the conversation down. And he said, like, like what do you mean? At which point I'm thinking, isn't Monticello around here somewhere? <laughs> Where did Thomas Jefferson live? <laughs> I said, well, I, I said, I think that's the very center of our, of our faith, is being forgiven by God. And that, you know, that's, that's why we believe in Jesus. It was the best go gospel conversation I've ever had with my brother. It went further than any other conversation before, but it didn't start with the gospel. It started about marriage. He said, well, I got to think about that. I... I think there's a whole bunch of conversations we can have with people if we talk about money and jobs and health and a million other topics and the challenges of raising children and the difficulties of watching our parents age and everything in between and how the gospel helps us with that. And by the way, it's got to be thought through. It's got to be a lot more, uh, more robust than just, and, and, and Jesus helps me with that. Well, sure he does. How? What aspect of the gospel? For, with my brother in that conversation, it was about forgiveness. With other people, it's about finding purpose and meaning in life. With other people, it's making sense out of, out of a, a seemingly senseless world. For, with other people, it's having the ability to have a relationship with God that's so close and so intimate that it's, that it's wonderful. And so what we need is a, a picture of the gospel that's so rich and full-orbed and then the ability to connect with people and find out who they are and what they're dealing with in ways that really bring them wholeness. Um, let me close with two last um, uh, uh, images I want you to have in your mind. Um, and then I'll quit, but um, I know that some of you are planning that we'll uh, go till noon. I'll just stick around if some of you want to ask some questions. Um, I know that Austin has a couple of things he wants to cover, but so we'll, we'll end a little early. Nobody minds that too much, do they? Oh, wait, I got another hour. I just thought of, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> no, let me give you two pictures, two visual images 
that I think we need uh, uh, very much so in our day and age about this whole thing about evangelism, reaching out. Um, there are two photos that I have in my mind from the history of sports. Um, one of them is a pretty famous photograph of Muhammad Ali knocking Sonny Liston down to the canvas. I, I believe it was in the first round of a fight. You've probably seen the picture. It's a famous one. It was on the cover of, of several different magazines. Um, I think it was given awards for you know, a, a, a photojournalism. Um, uh, th um, there, there's this, this harsh, sneering kind of look on Muhammad Ali's face. Um, I'm pretty sure at the time he was still known as uh, Cassius Clay, but e either way, um, the photographer who took the picture in an interview said that he heard, um, after knocking uh, Liston down on the canvas, he heard um, Clay say, get up again and I'll knock you down again. Um, I think that's the image that uh, some of us have had about evangelism for a long time. And it hasn't served us well. Yeah, we've got arguments, we've got answers, we've got reasons to believe, and we do. I, we really do. I think we've got a solid footing of that. And if you don't feel solid in that, there's great resources today to help you feel more secure in your belief system. We, we, we live at a time with um, at our fingertips on the internet, there's apologetic articles and things to give us a strength and a stability. So yes, we have that. The challenge is not using it to knock people down. There's another visual image from the world of sports. I love photography. I love pictures. Um, they capture things. Maybe you remember this story. There was a runner uh, named Eric Redmond. I think I got the name right. I hope so. He, was, uh, he ran the 400-meter race. He was from the UK. Um, he had been in several Olympics and hadn't won. This was probably going to be his last Olympics, and people were favoring him, thinking he's got a good shot at the gold medal. In the semifinal race, so not the final race, but the semifinal race, he was actually leading or close to the front of the pack when uh, he tore a muscle in his hamstring. And um, it, it was so painful, it knocked him to the ground. In a post-event uh, uh, interview, it said it was such a loud noise of his muscles snapping, he thought someone shot him with a gun. He fell to the ground, the whole rest of the field pass him, and the, the race is over, other people win, and you know only the top ones go on to run the next day or the next time in the final race. He's writhing in pain on, ground, and on the ground, not, not just in physical pain, but the emotional pain of my career is over, I thought I, was, I had a good shot at the gold medal, I'm not even going to be in the final race. And, and he pulls himself up and starts limping to the finish line. Do some of you remember this story? And, and um, I mean, he just, he wanted to finish that race, but he was in such pain and tears are coming down his face. And at, at some point as he rounds a certain point, coming to the, the final stretch, somebody jumps out of the stands and starts running towards him. And so the security people stop this person and there's this conversation that goes on and, and then they let the guy go by and the guy comes along and puts his arm around and the camera zooms in on their faces and you can tell this is his father. And his father's got his arbor on his son, and he's whispering in his ear. And, and who knows? But he's saying, it's okay, it's okay. I like that image better for evangelism, don't you? Let's put our arms around people. Let's tell them it's okay. Let's help them get to the finish line. Still point, to them, point them to Jesus. But let's do it with a kind of compassion and grace and, and wonder so that they will feel like we really are on their side. Isn't that great? Will you pray with me? Father, we pray again for the people that you place around us.
Um, would you help us to see them? And, and there's a whole lot more of them that we haven't thought of yet, but they're there. And so would you help us see them? And would you help us be burdened for them and care for them and love them so much that we would talk to them and we would strike up and begin conversations, even if we don't know where the conversations are going to go. We don't know how to map it out, but, but you do. And may it be that our trust would be in you. And may it be that you would work using us, un unlikely evangelists, um, in the lives of people who are unlikely converts. We pray all this in our Savior's name. It's been great to be with you. Um, Austin, your turn. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for that uh, very important encouragement. Thank you for those very practical considerations for us along the way. For those who are interested in, in learning more and uh, have, been, have been greatly uh, encouraged and, and impacted and influenced by some of Randy's uh, material, please, I encourage you to pick up one or a few of his books that we have out in the book booth. Um, I have a couple quick announcements as, and just really to, to consider, things for us to consider as we draw our time to a close and, and stay on this course with um, pursuing faithfulness as witnesses to the gospel. Uh, before I begin, I meant to do this before we started the second session. Uh, I wanted to welcome Trinity International Church members that are here with us today as well. I know there were a few more that were here earlier also in the first session, so we love fellowshipping with you all, and glad that uh, several of you were able to make it, so welcome, uh, good to see you. So a couple things to consider as we draw our time to a close. Um, what we're seeing here is evangelism is not just something we go out and do. Okay, it's not merely something we just go do. If we want our evangelism, which we should desire, our, our, the sharing of the gospel to be sincere, we're talking about a, a heartfelt, spiritually driven behavior. Why is that important that, that, I, that I draw our attention to defining what, the, what, what evangelism is, where it comes from? It's a heartfelt, spiritually driven behavior. We need to remember, as Randy reminded us today, Oh, more often than not, it's uncomfortable. We're up against a lot in the world when we seek to make Christ known and, and share the gospel with people. So often it's uncomfortable. Let's remember, let's be fervent in prayer, first and foremost. As Randy helped lead us when we started, let's be thinking prayerf prayerfully, considering very intentionally, who does the Lord have around, has, who has the Lord placed around us and us around um, who, who, who are in close enough proximity where we can engage them and initiate spiritual conversations uh, in a more intentional way. So prayerfully consider, we need to encourage one another. We need to be always encouraging each other and spurring each other on. So prayerfully consider who you may 
who the Lord has placed in your life that you can take next steps in witnessing to. Encourage one another. Take your encouragement that you receive today and bring that to your small groups and your friends and family and share that and invite others to be part of being real intentional with ongoing encouragement and prayer and action and, and follow-up and, and be encouraging each other with testimonies of how you're sharing your faith with your neighbors or your family members or those in your in your workplace. So it's really important for us to continue uh, committing ourselves to spurring each other on, staying faithful in prayer uh, and encouragement. A couple things we will, uh, we're, we're planning and to offer moving forward as you'll continue to see Riverstone uh, um, keeping prior, uh, evangelism as a priority of our church is that uh, our next church-wide training will be on uh, Feb Sunday, February 16th during the second service. So you'll see more information on that in the new year. Um, we'll stay that course as well. Now, uh, something that Randy said a, cu a couple times, both in the first session and in the second session, is that, so in the second session, he was talking about this comprehensiveness in our sharing of the gospel. That's really important. Uh, and he mentioned in the first session that for us to be fluent in sharing the gospel, for us to, to, to acknowledge and really understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ bears weight and has implications on all aspects in life, we must first know the gospel ourselves. We must first embrace the gospel day in, day out, know the gospel, live out the gospel. We must view the world through the lens of the gospel. And so that's first and foremost before we can be out in the world uh, helping other people see how the gospel bears on, comes to bear on, on all aspects of their lives. So that being said, one of the things that we're also going to be doing uh, entering into the New Year is providing studies for us to uh, understand the gospel uh, more, more comprehensively or, or uh, to understand the, how the gospel um, has implications and bears weight on all areas of our lives, uh, on our lives individually, on our marriages, on our life together in the church and out in the world. These are really important categories of understanding how the gospel bears weight on all aspects of, of life, individually, collectively, and out in the world. So we're going to be providing some studies in the new year. Please keep an eye out for that. You'll see that we're really excited about that, and you'll find ways that you can also get connected. And part of the goal there is that we would be able to continue to provide ongoing education and equipping, but also intentional encouragement so that we have um, so that we can f have places where we're coming alongside one another and really uh, being intentional, spurring each other on. We think it's important. Lastly, uh, for, for all women who plan to attend the uh, Simply Christmas event, the which is an outreach event on December 2nd, right here that Monday evening, um, start prayerfully considering now who you would bring. I'm sure that the if you prayerfully consider, the Lord will show you, will guide you 
to the, the appropriate people in your life who you can um, reach out to and invite. Maybe someone in your, in your sphere of influence would be interested in attending the event. Maybe someone in your sphere of influence would be interested in meeting your friends. Um, or, or maybe they would even be willing to, either before or after the event, be, sitting, be willing to sit down and open, open the word and, and uh, read through a gospel together. Anyway, all that to be said, um, women, please be prayerfully considering now who the Lord might lead you to invite to that event on the second. So uh, last and final announcement, which I know will be a blessing to you all, is that Randy's not going anywhere. He'll actually be here tomorrow morning preaching at both services. So we get another day of encouragement from Randy. Again, Randy, thank you so much for taking the trip and coming up. Thank you for joining us in, in, in ministry and equipping our people and in, 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 in encouragement. And uh, have a good day. Thank you all for coming out. And uh, there's some extra food if you want to grab some on your way out. I'm sorry. <laughs>